Well, we're coming come to our last uh, message in our uh, face-to-face book series. Uh, you know, you can't just straight up say we're going to never mess with the phone again. We're going to, and maybe if we're old enough, we we have that privilege. But our children, our grandchildren, probably don't. Especially, you know, when all your banking is here and your calendar is here, and and of course all your contact information. But a lot of your work is here, and it's just not going to work to say we're going to uh, throw this thing away. Uh, so we've got we got it. It's digital world is going to be kicking in a little bit faster. And there are great things in the digital world, and there are some dangers as well. And what we want to focus on this, this uh, morning is we want to focus on just some of the more key dangers. If we're going to be walking down this road, we need to know what the landmines are and what they could possibly do. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the website Ashley Madison. I hope not, because Ashley Madison is a subscription service for men and women who are looking to have an anonymous, illicit sexual rendezvous. Now, Ashley Madison's uh, logo has a, 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 a woman doing this. And the idea is this is very discreet. Nobody will know. This is just for you and your, your fantasy. Everything is going to be okay. And so millions, I mean, literally millions of, of people signed up for this thing. And they gave their name or their phone number, their credit card number, their address, their email address, because Ashley Madison was going, so they thought. And that's the way it was until 2015. And some hackers broke into Ashley Madison's website and they stole all of their clients' information and they put it online publicly. 32 million adulterers and would-be adulterers, wannabe adulterers, were outed. And then you can imagine that the reporters and everyone else are scouring these things and they're finding prominent military personnel and prominent celebrities and prominent politicians and pastors and seminary professors. Uh, big news, a while back, when this thing first broke, 56-year-old pastor, who also taught at seminary, ended up taking his own life because of the humiliation of this thing, and his suicide was not, he was not alone in this. Many, many did, because they thought it was going to be uh, anonymous, and it, and it, and it wasn't. You know, with the Internet promises, seems to promise a privatization, a anonymity, a, 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 a aloneness. We can get away with all kinds of stuff. But uh, you get away with nothing, right? Uh, one of the, the pitfalls on the Internet that this actually stems from is Internet pornography. Uh, this is a, coming from a Barna report. I, these, these numbers blow my mind. But in 2016, one year, 4.6 billion hours of pornography were viewed on one site alone. That's about 524,000 years of pornography viewed in 2016. Fifty-seven percent of young adults admit to seeking out pornography at least one time a month. Sixty-one percent viewed pornography on their mobile device. Approximately thirty percent of all internet searches 
are pornography related. Now, the crazy thing is there was a day when you had to work to get your pornography, right? I mean, you had to, you had to muster the who knows what to drive to the drugstore and, and ask the clerk about that magazine on the other side of the, 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 the deal. Can you give me that, that one? And, and you, you had to maybe drive to an adult store or bookstore praying that you weren't caught or seen and, and wondering who the sleazy people are in there, not thinking that you were one, one of them. And, and you, you had to, to go public kind and spend your own money. And just that in and of itself was a bit of a deterrent. But today, you go upstairs to your room and you close and lock the door. And you have at your fingertips every vice you can possibly imagine, every perversion in the world. It's right at your your fingertips. We we talked, remember a couple weeks ago, that on the one hand, this is a great deal. Because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Three and a half billion people are active users on social media, which means I have access right now to three and a half billion people in this world. What incredible opportunities and potential. Likewise, I have opportunities to some of the most destructive, profane, debased, will destroy my family, destroy myself, stuff. Same time, right now, I have access to this. Now, uh, pornography. It's the number one category of all Internet sales. Pornography is searched more frequently than games or gaming, travel, jokes, humor, health, weather, and job-related searches combined. The number one word used in Internet searches is sex. And and the studies are in what pornography does, and it's not not pretty. It does more than just kind of fuel your testosterone sort of deal. What what this does is this pornified society is creating millions of of men and women who are uh, unable to enter into physical intimacy on a face-to-face level. Because face to Facebook level, I can go virtually enter in sexually with anybody, and I don't have to deal with all the mess of relationship and emotions and all of that kind of stuff. And, and so, when you take sexuality and you turn it just into a body thing instead of a body and soul thing, how God meant it to be, and then you try to to, to click into face to face instead of face to Facebook, it doesn't work, and you're not able to relate in intimacy is lost and we're in a danger of developing a world where they don't understand relational intimacy, not on the level God desired it to be. And you, you know, as well as I do with this stuff, that you don't even have to go looking for it. It comes looking for you, right? How many erotic, uh, seductive uh, solicitations have been sent to people who are lonely, are bored, or afraid. And they fall into this trap and get stuck. How many, I wonder how many commercials have we viewed, gadgets to be sold, or, or services, or menus, and the people selling them, you know, some hunker, hottie person that you'd forget when the commercial's over what the product was they were trying to sell. You, you, you wonder how many news stories are associated with some salacious photo that, that soft, 
porn. You wonder how many movies or viral videos we encounter where we're not necessarily looking for this per se, but they tease our imagination with their clothing or lack thereof or choreography or, or a thousand um, non-verbals to suddenly transport our minds into an unrighteous land that we didn't want them to go. We weren't looking for that. But it's where we're at. And so again, we can shut the phone, throw it away. I don't think that we really can, can do that per se. So what do we do? And now there are uh, parental controls and there are filters and there are uh, accountability partners and those are all good things. I had a buddy, he, he's gone home to be with the Lord now, but way back when he was, he worked for the uh, National Coalition for the, for the Protection of Family and Children. And so what he, he did, he had a he, big conference deal, and he brought in the top 10 uh, internet uh, vendors for filters, you know, for protection for your, for your computer, top 10. And then he brought in a handful of college, uh, high school kids, high school kids, and he said, I will pay you X number of dollars if you can get around these filters. And every one of the fil- top t- 10 of the best filters that we know of, all of them were, were compromised within 10 minutes. These high school kids could get around. So the, the, the solution is not, even though we should have parental controls and, and filters, the solution is not that. So what's the solution? Well, the solution, I believe clearly, and the scripture will, will go down this road, that our number one ally in fighting this is an understanding, a deeply held conviction, understanding the clarity of God's perspective on sex. If we can see sexuality through God's eyes, you know what? That will impact how we click and how we think and where we go. That will impact our values and our under and our understanding. Just check this out. Proverbs two. I love I love Proverbs two. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, uh, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Next slide. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, and if you seek it like silver and search for it for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You see what he said? He, he doesn't just say if you read it. If you, if you accept this, if you believe that this really is my word, and, and if, if you call out for insight, you're praying, and if you seek to apply your heart, God, I want to know this so I can live this out, and, and, and you search for it just like you would hidden treasure. It's not going to just come to you because you think it might be. You search for it. If you do all that, then you're going to understand the fear of the Lord. Then, you know what else you're going to find? Next verse. It says, you'll do this so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. If we understand God's word, we understand his view of sexuality, you know what that will do? That will deliver us. And if we don't understand, we are... In victim mode, we are victims waiting to happen, you know? It is, it is, it's not going well. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to focus, we can go to a lot of different texts, but we want to focus on one small text where, where God reveals His purpose in sexuality. And if we can grapple with that, if we can start to digest that spiritually, that will impact and protect us in major ways. If you got your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4. If you're turning or as you're turning on your, your phone, no Facebook, right? Stay to this. Um, let me give you a little background on this thing. Because it's helpful. I mean, the church at Thessalonica was kind of like the poster child for churches in the New Testament. Most of the churches had bad stuff going on. The church, people say, I want to be like a New Testament church. Which church do you want to be like? Romans? You want to be the Roman church where they had all kinds of divisions? Maybe you want to be like the Corinthian church where there's pride and arrogance and immorality. Do you want to be like the Galatian church that was steeped in legalism? Or maybe you want to be like the Ephesian church that really didn't understand the church or the Colossian church that was new agey or the Philippian church, which was a good church, but they had some fighting of their own. Which New Testament church do you want to be like? Well, the right answer would be Thessalonica. Uh, these guys, so far in this book, Paul is, 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 is singing their praises, their discernment is high, their, their understanding is high, that's great. But in chapter 4, he puts something very graphic on the table. And, and this is why. Because Thessalonica was a town in Greece, it's in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, the church was some Jewish people, but a good number of pagan Gentile folk who had no history with Judaism. And uh, where they're coming from, Greco-Roman world, was much more immoral than ours. Because our world, at least in the past, we had this Judeo-Christian ethic that kind of shaped and deterred and formed things. They didn't have that. And so uh, the idea was, if you can dream it up sexually, you can do it. And you know what? It's not a shame thing. It was just an okay thing. This was the water that they swam in. This was just how they understood life. Helen Gurley Brown was the editor of Cosmopolitan for like 30 years. Yeah. she was in an interview, and she's gone now, but she was in an interview years ago, and she was talking, and she said, you know, the three best things in life, one of them is sex. And the interviewer said, well, what are the other two? And she said, who knows? And the idea was, the only one that matters, of course, is sex. And the interviewer pushed, though, and said, um, well, might one of them be love? And Brown said, love? Love is impossible to define and even more impossible to experience. No. And again, the idea was all that matters, all that is, is sex. And certainly the church, the, the, not the church per se, but Thessalonica, the city. Yes, that's where they would have been. That's the guy, Demosthenes. Let me, let me quote this guy because he was a statesman in the Greco-Roman world and he said this. He said, we keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body. And we keep wives for the begetting of children and for the faithful guardianship of our homes. And he wasn't bragging. He's just, this is the way life is. The men in the Greco-Roman world, it would have been normal for them to have three or four sexual partners at the same time. It would have just been normal. And so since many of these folk came out of that world into this church, Paul recognizes they're living in this, this sexually insane society. He realizes that this is a lot of their baggage. This is how they experience. And so he's got to address this. And so it's, I think on the screen we've got verse 3. Let me give you the first verse, though, just before that. A couple verses before that. Beginning of chapter 4, he says, Finally then, brothers... 
So just listen. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So he's talking about how you please God. Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Then verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Starts off, he says, for this is the will of God. You know, I don't think there's any question that's asked a pastor more than this question. What is God's will for me? And when the question is asked, usually, you know, should I move to Minnesota? Should I stay where I'm at? Should I move to Texas? You know, should I, I go to MIT or Mercyhurst or Moody? Should I marry him or date her? Should I? Well, those are the issues that we seek the will of God on. But uh, the will of God, that probably comprises a half of a percent of the will of God for your life. Right? The will of God is more about not where you are, but who you are. And if you are the who, then wherever you are the who, you are in the will of God. You follow that. So, so he says, this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Piece of cake. I, can, I don't know if you should go to Florida or, or Colorado, but I do know this. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That's a big old churchy word, sanctification. What does that mean? Well, it's a word that speaks of this. It speaks of moving from something, something mundane, to something special. And the thought biblically is this, especially especially for us, from the worldview of evolutionary process where you are just really an accident, where there is no purpose or meaning in life at all, and you are destined really for the grave, and uh, you should do whatever you need to do to find meaning, whatever that is, along the way, if you think that's important. That is the prevailing worldview today. And it's as if people were kind of plucked out of that and put over here. Where this worldview is, is you're not an accident. You were created in the image of God. Matter of fact, when God created you, he kind of breathed part of himself into you. You are more magnificent than you had ever, ever thought. You were created for relationship with God. You, you were to know him. Uh, but here's the deal. You are also more fallen than you ever thought because your sin has blocked that relationship. But God, because he loves you, because you're creating his image, sent his son, Jesus, to die in your stead, to pay for your sin, so that you could have that relationship, with, so you could be adopted into the family, so God can be your father, so Jesus could be your brother, so you could have a, a, a church family. I mean, it's a whole new deal. And sanctification is this. Uh, sanctification is, is you're here because he's picked you up and plucked you and put you there. But sometimes we're here, we still live like we're over here, don't we? We just forget or, you know, just we live in this world physically and so we just do as the Romans do kind of thing. We don't think and sanctification is take every element of your life and don't live it like you used to. Don't live it like a world that doesn't know God. Live it as 
your identity as a son or daughter of him. That's what sanctification is. It's, it's learning. It's growing. It's, it's bringing, getting more and more over here and less and less over here. So this is a, the sanctification. But he's going to define that for these guys, what that sanctification looks like. It's the will of God, your sanctification, namely, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Wow. Notice he doesn't say the will of God is your sanctification that you abstain from sex. That's not because God created sex. Because sex, in God's context, if you follow this text, it gets a little bit deep, is a way to sanctification. If you, as you, every element of your life, as you are putting it under the lordship of Christ, it sanctifies. It, it is sanctification. It, it's, it's growth. It says, but, but, but do away with sexual immorality. The word immorality, it's kind of like every deviation of God's plan for sex is immorality. The word is, is pornea. It's where we get the word pornography from. It includes everything from pedophilia, transvestism, everything in between. Um, it, it would incorporate a, adultery and promiscuity and homosexuality and, and, uh, all of these things. The, now, the biblical sex ethic is easy. It's, it's easy as far as it's clear in Scripture, but there's nothing that goes head-to-head with our culture more violently than this. The biblical sex ethic is simply this. One man and one woman in the context of marriage. That's where sexuality is to be consummated. One man and one woman in the context of marriage, not before, and not multiple people. And so folk will push back. Our culture obviously will huge here and say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not how I'm wired. That's not how I was made. That's not how life is. That goes against what I desire, what I, what I want, what I'm about. You hear that all the time. Uh, and this is a whole, that's a major study. But let me just mention this. In your money, right, you can... Use your money one of two ways. You can use it as a world without God on yourself, however you want to do it, but really God is not in the equation. Or you can honor God with your money. Your time, you can use it one of two ways. You can take your time and you can use it in a un-God life. I'll use it however I want to, usually for myself or make myself feel good about helping other people, but for myself. Or you can use it in a way that honors God. Your entertainment, same thing. You know, in a not non-God sort of life, God doesn't even come into the equation, or I'm going to honor God. Your sexuality you can use it one of two ways. In an understanding of God has nothing to do with this, or a, I'm seeking to honor him. Now, you might say, well, you don't understand. Listen, there's a, a book that I would encourage you strongly to, to, to read. Thin book. It's called, Is God Anti-Gay? Now, the guy who wrote this, Sam Albury, is a, even, he's a, a, uh, Anglican evangelical priest. He is committed to the Word of God. But Sam also has same-sex attraction. In other words, he is not sexually attracted to, to women. He is sexually attracted to men. 
And so in this book, this incredible book, to help you understand what goes through the mind of somebody who finds themselves in this, this same-sex attraction deal, and how does this work with a believer, and he comes down to finally basically saying, it's not an issue of how I'm wired or not. We are all broken in many ways. The issue is simply one of obedience or not. And so I would encourage you to read this, Is God Anti-Gay by Albert. It's just an excellent, excellent uh, book. So he says that you need to your sanctification to abstain from sexual immorality. And then he goes on very, uh, I say it's not a controversial, but, but very uh, significant verse, verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Let's, let's just be with me on this one. Because there's a phrase in here that its interpretation can go one of two ways. And let, let me tell you, one group of people, uh, I checked this week, Tim Keller, John Piper, um, uh, uh, Robert Thomas, said commentator. Another group are on one side, John MacArthur, F.F. F. Bruce, Eugene Peterson on a different side. And this, uh, so I pulled out a seventh commentator this, this week and I said, okay, you're, you know, William Barclay, you're going to decide this one for me, man. Go for it. And Barclay just decided to not even take a, a shot at this thing. So, uh, it was oh, great. I usually will study hard on this and, and where I think bring to you what I think the right interpretation is. I honestly don't know, so let me share them both with you. First one is exactly what it says. It's how the commentator or the translators of the NIV or ESV have come down to that each one of you may know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. And what he's saying is he's pushing for self-control sexually. He, he's, he's, Paul is pushing what he did in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, right? In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's saying, you know what? My, my uh, bodily appetites do not determine what I'm going to do. Just because I'm hungry or whatever, that doesn't determine what, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to accomplish. We see this in Matthew 26. Remember, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. And he says, you guys, hang out here. And what does he tell them to do? He says, pray. Watch and pray. I'm going to go over here. i got to be alone for a little bit. And he goes to pray. And he comes back. And he finds these guys asleep. He told them to pray, but they're sleeping. And so what does he do? Does he say, well, my disciples, bless their heart, they're just tired. They've had a long day, I understand. No, 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 he wakes them up and he yells at them. He says, could you not watch and pray? In other words, there's a time when we just don't let our body dictate what we're going to do. Just because I'm tired, just because I'm thirsty, because I'm hungry, I'm going to go do it. No, my body doesn't call the shots. The Holy Spirit within me, the, the new world values call the shots. And that's what he might be advocating here. Another interpretation 
And this is actually the one of Keller and Piper and Thomas. And they say, they say, first of all, you see that word body? Uh, each one of you should know how to control his own body. Um, that's not the normal word for physical body. It's actually the word vessel. So what's he talking about here? Well, in 1 Peter 3, exact same word, vessel, is used. And there, it clearly refers to a wife. And so, Piper, Keller, Thomas, they all, many today, all say that the proper uh, translation of this is that each of you should know how to take his own wife in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. In other words, he's saying, listen, you, you men in Thessalonica, who it's been normal for you to have three or four sexual partners, and, and uh, that's inbred in you, it's what you do. Listen, take a wife in holiness and honor. Don't have all of that. Go in your, your, your wife. You know, I think this idea of, he's saying, you should know how to take a spouse in holiness and honor. I think that the majority of Christianity today, evangelical Christianity, we do not know how to take a spouse in holiness and honor. We take a spouse the same way the rest of the world took this, takes a spouse. We take a spouse because of our passionate lusts. We take a spouse because I want to be satisfied with physical intimacy. And while physical intimacy can only be found biblically in the confines of marriage, marriage is way beyond that. And that's why he says, learn how to take a spouse, but take your spouse with holiness and honor. Whole different deal. Sometimes we want to take a spouse, like the way our, the old world, because they complete me, because I want to have a family, because I want the security, because, and if you follow that out, it's because I want, because this spouse can do something for me. The word for lust is, is simply strong desire. And it's desiring something, in this context anyway, so much so, I desire it more than God. That's idolatry. And he's saying that so many people don't know how to take a spouse with holiness, with honor. That's for them. That's for their benefit. Where marriage is, is about ministry. It's not about me getting my needs met. Because if we do that for me to get my needs met, then we are putting our spouse in a terrible situation. We are now expecting them to do that which they cannot do. We're expecting them to meet our inner needs that only God can meet. And so when they fail, they don't do it. We're going to be very frustrated and upset. And I could have married Jack or Lola or whoever else. And, and we're going to be so angry. And we're going to pour that on them as well. And we might stay married together. But we just got to keep in mind, we have taken a spouse, not according to holiness and honor. We have taken one according to the ways of the world. We are not sanctified in that regard. We need a change of mind. And what he's saying to the Thessalonians, when you take a spouse, you take a spouse, you know, you better know how to take a spouse in holiness and honor, not like the Gentiles who don't know God. So our, our commitment to Christ should transform our, our dating and our courting and our marriage, our romance and, and, and our, our sexual lives. It should transform all of that. That's what Paul is getting at. 
So is he talking about control your body? Or is he talking about take a spouse? Uh, I think Paul, this is my own take on this. I like to walk a metal line. I think Paul was ambiguous intentionally because we find both of these things elsewhere in, in his writings. Um, so they're both there. We have to control ourselves. My appetites don't, don't dictate. They don't call the shots. Likewise, I need to learn how to approach marriage, not as pagans who don't know God, but in holiness and honor. He goes on, verse 6, and he says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. If you, if you, if you practice your sexuality outside of God's pattern, you're going to wrong them. You might not mean to wrong them, but you, wrong, you always wrong them. Uh, he, says, he says, because the Lord is an avenger, and all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. These saints that Paul's writing to, these are good guys. But he's solemnly warning them. I think sometimes that we Protestant evangelical guys can think, I'm saved, and... That's all there is to it, and I won't lose my salvation, and so I can just go do whatever I want to do. Please hear me. I believe that if you are truly adopted into the family, you're a true believer, then you can't lose that. I I believe that. But Hebrews 3.15 tells us how do we know if we're really in or not. Because you signed a card. Because you raised your hand one time. No, no. Hebrews 3.15 says this. It says this is how we know that we're in him. If we persevere to the end, uh, Romans eight. This is this is this warning stuff is all over the place. He says, "For if you," he's writing to saints. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Saints. Next. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. He's talking about the people of God in the Old Testament. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. It's a warning. Galatians 5. He says, and check this out. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Check out what he says here. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we have a faith... That, that, that says, eh, God's commands are kind of optional. And eh, you know what? Maybe I'll obey or not. Let's just see what the command is and see how much it really costs. If we have a, 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 a faith that, that says, I really don't care about pleasing God. Let me just, I don't know how else to say this, but may God have mercy on your soul because I don't see that biblically. I just don't see that biblically. The warnings that he's given are legitimate warnings. So, so how do we, we come out with application on this? Well, three things. First of all, if you have kids, little kids at home, you need to guard your family. You need to guard your family. You know, 
You're at home one night, all of a sudden you get a, a, a knock on the door, you answer the door, and there's this gal standing there, and she's dressed, partially dressed, right? She's like, she's, uh, and she's looking pretty, um, hooker-esque, I guess. And she says, listen, I'm here just to hang out with your kid. Can I do that? And you're, oh, yeah, sure. It's upstairs. Go for it. Well, then a few minutes later, you get the knock again. And you open the door, and the guy starts telling jokes, and they're awful jokes. Very, very, very bad, t- 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 trashy jokes. And then he says, listen, I'm here just to hang out with your kid. Can I do that? Like, yeah, he's upstairs. Go for it. And so they go upstairs. A few minutes later, there's another knock. And you open the door, and there's this couple making out. And you're just kind of embarrassed, and but they're still right there. And all of a sudden, they break from their kissing. And one says, yeah, we're just here to hang out with your kid. Can we do that? And you're like, yeah, there's a party going upstairs. Go upstairs. And so then you, another knock on the door, and you open the door, and there's a man and a trashy-looking sort of guy in a trench coat. You don't even ask. You just kind of point upstairs, and he goes upstairs. Would you do that as a parent? Of course not. But when your child takes the phone and goes upstairs, guess what? They've got all of that plus a whole lot more at their fingertips. And so we, we just, ha- my, my kids were little. We kind of coming to age when this whole digital thing was kicking in. Different rules as time goes on. But Tim Chalice is an Australian Christian blogger who's got some great stuff, and he's got a page out there, The Porn-Free Family Plan. Let me encourage you strongly, if you've got little kids at home, to get this article and to check it out, go through it, come up with your own plan, but you need a plan of sorts. Go that route. So guard your family. Second thing you need to do is free yourself. Free yourself. As we've been talking, some of y'all might go, yeah, well, you know what? You just, you know what's going on. Uh, some of you would say, you know what? I'm really not stuck. I'm cool. I'm not stuck. And yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I'm not stuck. Uh, I, I, yeah, that one time, but I've, I've asked forgiveness and I'm all done. But two weeks later, you know, you know how this goes. You fall again. And then you're so sorry and you feel bad. And you're, but this time I'm never, but two weeks later, and that, that spiral has been going down for how many years? You're not stuck, right? How's that working for you? Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew, I think it's five, five, six or seven, Sermon on the Mount. He says this. I think it's five. He says that, that talking about sexual sin, right? He says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. And throw it away, because it's better for you to go to heaven than enter into hell with two eyes. He says, if your hand offends you, cut it off and throw it away, because it's better for you to get into heaven maimed than, than for, for, for you to go into hell with both, both hands. And what he's saying is this. Some sins, maybe especially sexual sins, Take a little bit more than, than discipline. I'm never going to do it again. Yeah, that doesn't work. You, you have to, to do some proactive, intentional, radical surgery. And so let me encourage you, if you're finding yourself stuck, maybe starting to get stuck, wondering if you're stuck, the nice thing about the Internet is you can go to these, there's several others. You can go to one of these, these, these pages, one of these sites, and they will help you walk through where you're at. I can't, I'm not, check them all out yourself. All I know is the XXX Church is, is I'm, I'm, that's a great site. Blazing Grace is, is good. Uh, let me also mention this. If you are a spouse who, you're not perfect, but your spouse is really messed up here. 
and you are hurting and you're not sure what in the world to do. You can't go public with this thing. It's not just embarrassing. You, would, you don't want to hurt your spouse. What do you do? Both XXX Church and Blazing Grace have programs you can go through, like, like ministries for you to help walk you through that. Let me encourage you strongly to do that. Let me mention this too. Can I? If you're struggling with this, please know you are welcome here, that there's nobody in this room who can throw a stone, that every single person in this room has got baggage and has got sin and has got blind spots and we're uh, moving together in this journey. But here's the deal. You have got, you have got to, to seek to free your, yourself. Third thing. And to guard your family, right? You need to free yourself. Third thing, you need to come to Christ if you haven't. Because here's the deal. You know, Ashley Madison promises didn't work well for her, right? Well, you know what? It's not going to work well for God either. God is not into privacy loss. And uh, every single thing, every single place your phone has ever gone, you can clean up your Twitter you can clean up your Facebook account, you can clean up your Instagram, but you know what? Every single place it's ever gone, your browsing history is a permanent record to God. And biblically, you will stand before, and those things will come out. They will. And the warnings are true. They're not, they're not faked. And so unless he comes with some sort of special grace, we are in incredible trouble. But now here's the deal. This is why this is so cool. Jesus, when he died on the cross, did not die for generic sin. You know what he died for? He died for those humiliating, embarrassing things that I, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm dead, I'm done. Those are the things he died for. So he took the judgment for those things, so I don't have to, so you don't have to. And so when you come to Christ, you come and saying. I've got nothing. You, you're giving me forgiveness and grace and riches. I've got nothing to give you but this sordid garbage. It's a terrible deal, but you wanted this deal, so here you go. And you come in repentance. God, I'm sorry. And you trust him. And scripture says that those things that we've done, that we have to stand before him one day, they're all gone. We don't stand before him on that. They've been forgiven. Jesus paid for that. Now, maybe you're in a place where, you know what, you have given your life to Christ, but... It, you still kind of, you weren't sanctified. You kind of got back over here and you got stuck or you got tripped up or you just know that in this area you are just, you're just not sanctified. Life is, is not going well. Maybe what you need to do this morning is come back to him. Maybe you, you dedicated years ago your life to the Lord. Maybe this morning you need to dedicate your digital life to the Lord and come before him and say, God, I know I'll only be here X number more years. Who knows? It's going to be shorter than any of us think, though. I want to live them for you. And I want my presence here. If, if, if my digital footprint was to be traced, I want it to be where you lead me, not where my passionate lusts lead me. So I'm, I'm giving that to you now. Maybe that's the commitment you need to make as we close down our series on Face to Facebook. Would you take a moment and pray with me? And I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you have never surrendered your life to Christ, you have never committed your life to Christ, you have never embraced his death 
and resurrection for your garbage, your sin. You can do that right now. And it's just in a matter of, of, Bible says it's belief, it's trust, it's coming to him. Thank you for dying in my behalf. It's confessing your, your sin and giving that to Christ. And maybe right now, again, where you're at, what's going on, you need to rededicate or dedicate your digital life to him. Make this morning, just where you're sitting, just between you and God, a, a holy moment. You know what you need to do.